Well, good afternoon. If you're east of New York, um, west, I guess, good morning. Welcome to Decrypting AI, a weekly conversation about artificial intelligence, machine learning, deep learning, all of that great stuff, as well as the other topics we cover at Emerge, the emerging tech hub at Decrypt, which could include everything from good old space to quantum computing to longevity and life extension. But AI is where we butter our bread, if that is an incorrect application. And uh, we're here to talk about what's happened in the last week. And it's not quite as crazy a week as it was last week, but there's always something interesting. Jason, are you there? I am here. How are you doing, sir? Hanging in, hanging in. And, uh, you know, finally able to get some sleep after all of the drama we were tracking over the weekend last weekend. Um, but, well, I guess we could probably start with just the latest, at this point, almost ceremonial development in the OpenAI saga. Uh, I liked that they described it as a new initial board, a new initial board, which sounds like an oxymoron to me. But uh, it looks like that they have rearranged things. Uh, who's running the show over at OpenAI? Well, Sam Upman is back in control. Um, we reported on this last night. OpenAI put a, out a uh, official notice that he's back as CEO. Um, and uh, Greg Brockman is back as president. Uh, the only difference is Greg is not uh, on uh, apparently a board member anymore. Um, Adam D'Angelo, Larry Summers... And uh, Brett Taylor, who's the new chair who took over for, for Greg, is on the uh, board of, uh, of OpenAI now. Um, it was unclear who from the original board was still there because they pretty much just talked about the um, new people. But apparently there were some people who were on the old board uh, you shared a tweet last night from one of them who said that they were leaving. <clears throat> and it's funny to me that the whole drama really played out like Game of Thrones to me. Because, you know, you had this uh, undercover coup to remove the head. But then they didn't know that the head had the Iron Bank, a.k.a. Microsoft on his side <laughs> and he and he just came walking right back into the throne room like like hey hey guys you miss me and that, that was it well i enjoyed all of the snarky tweets to the resignations of the former board members because they're like uh are you you resigned that's not how i remember the story going also i thought it was interesting that Although everybody predicted that as a result of all the shenanigans that Microsoft would get a seat on the board, it seems like they found a way to give them that, but not really. Yeah, they gave them a non-voting seat, which is kind of odd. To to me, it's more like a uh, don't forget who's here type situation. Like, we can see everything that you're doing. Uh, it It's... It does make sense that Microsoft would get a board seat, though, considering they're OpenAI's biggest investor. You want to keep an eye on your investment. Why? But I guess they're trying to balance the whole profit, nonprofit thing. That's why they're not letting or not giving Microsoft a voting seat. 
because that was put, you know, for a lot of people, that would put them squarely in the for-profit seat. Yeah, the whole sh corporate structure is something that we're looking at doing a explainer for because it is still unusual. Um, it is what a lot of nonprofit or what you even might call cause-based um, organizations do where they have a nonprofit that owns a for-profit <laughs> that benefits the nonprofit, but it gets a little hairy. Actually, I was just thinking, as someone who serves on boards, the reason why it's probably a non-voting seat now is I don't imagine they were able to change the structure of the board yet. It's still all in their bylaws. In fact, it's probably still six seats. I don't think they can just sort of add and make 10 seats. It's sort of like the Supreme Court um, where you have to make a very substan a more substantive change to your corporate governance in order to add people beyond the six that were there. So if the new initial board haha, is six people, then it's probably a complete replacement and they're not going to be able to get Microsoft a voting seat until they have more voting seats available. But in any case, uh, I guess um, from his tweets, Sam Altman's tweets, he's ready to get back to work and start over again. But I feel like we saw kind of the beginning of the, this is the end of season one, the season end one cliffhanger is, is over. But uh, now I'm wondering if we're going to get like the Breaking Bad turning dark Sam Altman. Like, is this the start <laughs> of his evil, his evil <laughs> turn? Is this dark, dark Sam? Is that is that what you're saying? <laughs> yeah, after but, the coup. Yeah, I mean, well, no, no, no leader likes to have their their leadership undermined, especially in that in such a public fashion. I mean, they from the reports that we've read and wrote written about the the people the board didn't even tell Microsoft or give them very much notice what was going on they just did it and they'd be like oh hey guess what and i mean there has to be some type of blowback for that oh there's going to be repercussions and if i remember correctly they got 30 minutes notice that the decision had been made not 30 right. minutes notice that they were going to potentially make that decision but yep it, corporate intrigue at the highest level but also not especially the uh best look for a company that may or may not hold in its hands the key to humanity's great evolution or ultimate downfall I, I, in my muggle circles, a lot of people are like, this is not good. I'm a little scared now. Not that they weren't scared before, but like, this doesn't help that the person at the, <laughs> the person flying the plane was briefly thrown out of the plane was just, <laughs> just happened to be able to climb, climb back into the pilot seat. Well, and it does, I, I, I don't know, it, it, I think it also didn't help with the, the confidence of just consumers in general, because like, when I saw this whole thing, my first reaction is I wonder what's going to happen to all that data. Because, you know, Sam, love him or hate him, is very, has been very good about keeping under wraps how OpenAI, how ChatGPT works. If you get one of these more, trans, you know, and I'll say it transparent because that's one thing that a lot of people have been complaining about with these AI models is that they're not very transparent. But you get someone who's more transparent and just start saying, this is how this works and this is how we do it, it can make the whole industry collapse or go into upheaval. Yeah, I think, you know, there's going to, 
after that crazy weekend, I just want to get to the end of the year without anything more interesting happening as far as that company is concerned. <laughs> well, they, they are they are doing Q. Remember, Jose wrote about that. So, well, yeah. They, Apparently, AGI is right around the corner. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think that we're we're finding that AGI, based on our prior definition of what AGI is, might be around the corner. But I also believe that when people say stuff like we're 95% of the way there, it's really that last 5% that's going to take the rest, the majority of the time. Like, I, I, I hope it doesn't mean that we're just going to wake up tomorrow to a sentient um, <laughs> AI. And because there were AI scientists at the start of all this who believed that the chatbots that you could have a conversation with were sentient. I think that that definition is going to be continually shifting. Well, I, I don't know about you, Jason, uh, in terms of the high, lower, uh-oh. Um, I think that the end result of all of this was bad for the industry. So I'll give it a low. Where are you going to plant your flag? Yeah, it's, it's a low uh, because you don't have this type of, you don't have this type of turmoil in the, in the public space you, you you don't and it it's a bad look it makes them look shaky and it does put the who's in who's really running this show into question and i think they they made a a, a mistake with this one so i'm going to give it a low as well <laughs> well let's talk about something more fun uh we covered a couple of just sort of viral memes related to AI yesterday, both of which were just taking over Twitter and filling my timeline for sure. I'm not, I'm, I'm presuming you have been enjoying the make it more meme. Well, the one, the, the people taking AI and taking still pictures and making them automated, is that, is that what you're talking about? Oh my gosh, no, it's like, you know, here's a cute puppy. For every 10 likes I get, I'll ask AI to make it cuter. And then <laughs> you would just end up with this, uh, extreme sequence until the, the. In fact, I didn't know this, but there comes a point at which the AI says, "I can't push this puppy any cuter." You are at the extreme end of cute. This is oh. we're, we're done. So I thought that was kind of cool. So you haven't seen any of that? Oh well, no, I, I I was paying attention more to the people who were making, you know, the 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 meme of the guy whistling at the girl as he holds his girlfriend's hand. Uh, someone automated that. And so now it moves, and <laughs> it's really creepy. Oh, I th yeah, I think I can't remember if that was Pika or one of the other tools that we covered. There, that's the other. That's the other of the me uh, viral memes that we covered. Uh, the Jason, uh, sorry, Jose covered was yeah. the make it more, which I thought was just hilarious, but also taking a meme and animating it. So you have the little girl who smiles. Evilly as the house burns, now you actually see the house burning. <laughs> like, you, uh, everybody listening, go check that one out because that one, it, it was already disturbing when it was a still picture. Now that it moves, it's just next level. Yep. So you have um, Distracted Boyfriend, I believe, is the one you're talking about. Right. I also, um, what, what? Oh, and of course, the This Is Fine dog cartoon with the actual flames burning. <laughs> so, you know. <laughs> It, but it's true. These tools that you, I think they made waves. It's nothing new because I remember there's a app that people were using to animate video, make little slightly animated. It might have, in fact, been Ancestry.com that let you take a picture that you found of your great grandma 
and just have her head move just a little and blink and stuff, oh, yeah. just enough to give you a sense of motion. Yeah. But now they're doing it to like Pepe, <laughs> so <laughs> but no, it's this, a little distressing. The Megan Moore is interesting because it it like the the panda like it, it's just it it's like you say this stuff isn't new, but what it is doing is it's putting it in more people's hands, and it's easier and less and way cheaper than it used to be to do. So now it's just going to be everywhere. Right. But the thing that I'm really fascinated about is that the idea of or what we understand to be the idea of a meme is that it becomes a thought nugget that everybody can sort of appreciate because of the reference. Right. right. And already I'm old. And so already there are references that I don't get. And I got totally slagged in the decrypt slack when I was like, so there's that meme with the guy in the orange sport jacket. And then they were <laughs> like, you mean Drake? I'm like, oh, is that Drake? <laughs> so, I mean, I am not the person to talk about this. But now, because everybody's going to have the ability to create them and animate them, we're going to get to the point where the, um, you know, it gets so refined and de derivative of derivative of derivative that the number of people who will understand your in-joke, it will get pretty small. But I'm sure it's going to be still fun, but it'll be like, oh, well, this is like taking the distracted boyfriend meme, but then we replaced it with the girl from the burning house, and then you have the frog. And I'm like, I don't even know half of what you just said. Is that English? Like, I'm I'm a little concerned. Right. Well, yeah, the memes are, memes are best when they're simple. And if you make them too complicated and too technical, you you definitely risk losing your audience. But I think what this is really doing is reviving some of these older memes that people just kind of took for granted and putting them in your face more because the dog in the house with literal flame is very eye-catching. <laughs> and like I said, the girl looking into the camera as the house burns is just freaky. And you know, so that revives, gives new life to these old memes. So I, I think that's the, the real genius of it. Oh, yeah. I mean, I do enjoy the probability that some of the ones that we remember are going to sort of recirculate, you know. But <laughs> uh, it's almost like it's the same thing that we're having with, like, streaming media, right? Now that there are so many shows and people are like, oh, it's a joke from people who know the morning show on Apple TV. I'm like, I don't even, what? That, that <laughs> Who's watching that? Like, you know, you have to be in a particular crowd to understand it. But I am enjoying it. I think Jose made a very good point that through the, uh, sorry, I'm going to use a drinking, a drink game word, but the democratization, democratization <laughs> of these tools um, are, are going to just lead to this massive outbreak of creativity from people who probably didn't think they were creative. Just because, you know, I, I don't feel great picking up a pen. I don't know how Photoshop works, but now you can just sort of type. Like, give me a picture of a house with a uh, dog uh, on the front lawn holding a potato in its mouth. And you get it. Like, amazing. Yep. Well, the only, the only downside to generative AI so far that I can see in that light is um, you're going to have people complaining that it takes away real creativity. Because you don't actually have to learn how to draw. You could just tell this thing to draw something for you. But it does open the door for people who are, and I've heard this from several, um, that it opens the door for people's creativity that is locked behind. I can't draw, but I want to see this thing. 
So it's definitely gonna gonna do that, but it's it's still a double edged sword. Well, I'm on the optimist side of that, and I think that because you have gatekeepers and people who are worried about the disruption of their area. And I'm not dismissing people who are like, well, now there's going to be less work for digital designers, less work for illustrators. I think this is all true. But Ooh. it's almost like being upset that the Internet allowed anybody to publish something when before you had to go through a publisher or before you had to or, or back when the printing press was uh, invented. You was like, well, you, there's freedom of the press if you have a press. Right. right now, every now everybody gets, and and I think that yeah. the end result is is a good thing. I would call this a high. Where are you putting it? Yeah, it's a high. I mean, it, it's just the the more people we get into the space, the better. And generative AI is definitely going to be a tool for that because it just it. What are you thinking about? Tell me what you're right. thinking about. Let's create it. I just can just see I just see all of these parallels back to the printing press, back to how photographer or classic photographers thought digital photography was the end, and then digital photographers thought Photoshop was the end, and now Photoshop users think Canva is the end. Right. Like it's just VHS be, is going to put the movie business out of business. Yeah, it's it's we're 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 going to be okay. There are other ways we're all going to die, but I don't think that <laughs> that's, that's going to be it. Uh, do you have an AI story that uh, really stood out in your mind? I, I wanted to ask you about dog longevity, for example, but if that's not on the top of your head, pick anything. Well, I, I, the big thinkers right now, uh, Vitalik and uh, some, uh, really Scott added his name to the list of directors who called AI an atomic bomb. And Vitalik put out a um, long thought piece on AI. <clears throat> and I'm really sorry I assigned you to have to read and report on that. That was <laughs> that was not a well organized uh, tome. There, it. You know what? AI makes a lot of things easier. Um, but he he did make a good point, and what he said was, if AI turns on us, even Mars may not be safe. Which I think is is probably the 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 most doomsay thing I've heard in a long time <laughs> because it's like you know once this thing gets going don't don't even try to run because it's it's just going to chase you, which goes into the whole you know Hollywood you know AI is going to launch Terminator Skynet type thing, and Ridley Scott is another person he called AI a technical hydrogen bomb. Now, I'm a big fan of the movie Oppenheimer, and I got the allegory they were making between the atomic bomb and AI. And it's funny to me that we keep mentioning that this thing is so destructive, but we tend to forget that it's us programming it. So if it is destructive, it's because we made it destructive. Yeah, and then even even just to get pedantic about it, I'm always, as an editor, I'm always catching like, you know, this was created by AI. It's like, no, it was created with AI. You don't say a hammer built a house. <laughs> you know, like, um, at this point, these are still the creations of humans. And when you say that it's a objective algorithm, as you know, as we were just talking about five years ago, it's not an objective algorithm because a human made it. So 
you don't eliminate that part of it. I do think it's interesting that we now have this convergence of Hollywood directors who are saying the same thing. And on one hand, I wouldn't discount it because these are the people who have put into our heads the basically shared vision of what a future might be. But on the other hand, you have to again go back to, are they scared because it is their medium that's being disrupted as well? Like they're trying to... Well, it's like it's like when you have... You're, you're, you're a psychic with a crystal ball. You see into the future, and it's a bad future. Well, you're the one that told us about this thing. So why are you, why are you, why are you scared? You, you're the one that brought it up. Well, I mean, I personally feel that you know, I agree with a lot of the pe- I mean, people who've been working on AI for 30, 40 years. You know, it's only hot this year because it's now on your computer and on your phone. But you know, the the basic underlying reason for the uh, apocalyptic predictions is the fact that humans know humans. And if you ask a system to eliminate the most inefficient part of a system, that will be the human in any system. I did think that the thing about even Mars won't be safe was interesting because I always feel like all of these proclamations you have to put in parentheses after them is for humans. Like Mars won't be safe for humans. Earth won't be safe for humans. My feeling is that even if we create an AI that wipes us off the face of the galaxy, the galaxy is going to be fine. You know, (laughs) we are not, we are not the uh, epitome of the galaxy's formation. And if we get wiped off the face of the earth, the galaxy would be like, well, that was an interesting few few million years. What's next? Well, and that goes back to that story we did a couple of months ago about Theta Noir and the guys and the people who want to create AI based on uh, like how plants are, where it's like a symbiotic relationship between humans and plants. And they want to make a symbiotic relationship between humans and AI. Right. Well, it's not, you're not programming it to do anything aggressive. You're programming it to do something that automatically benefits the creator, you know, the people who created it. So I think if we're, as long as we're putting military objectives into the AI, that's that's where we really need to worry about the whole Terminator Skynet thing. If you don't teach AI how to fight, it won't fight. So it's really about the programmer. Yeah, I mean, the fact of the matter is a lot of this comes out of military defense, dual use development. So unfortunately, I feel like it's built into the DNA of a lot of these systems. But uh, but again, I think, you know, going back to the, the, the basic story, you have Ridley Scott, you have James Cameron, you have, I forgot the third person's name already. Um, Christopher Nolan. Yeah, yeah, Christopher Nolan. You have just all of them basically saying, uh, we are the three horsemen of the AI apocalypse, and we are telling you. <laughs> this yeah. is this is shout out to Jose for the uh, great thumbnail. That was so good that uh, that Armageddon poster with the three um, directors. He's able to put celebrity faces on those things because he's running a local model. Darn it! Um, but in any case, yeah, good stuff. Well, then, fine. I will now ask you to tell me. The story about dogs living forever, I mean, just a, a few, I think it was maybe eight or nine months ago, there was a story about a Japanese researcher who said cats can now live 30 years. And I'm like, oh, my God, that's both amazing and scary. But so these dogs, uh, what were they called? Loyal. Loyal? Yeah. Um, obviously, they're great and happy to be expen- extending the life of a dog. But they, the, the point of it is for humans, right? Or did, did I read it wrong? Well. The the point for Loyal 
in and of itself is just to prolong the life of dogs and prolong the quality of life of dogs. But their CEO was telling me yesterday that the idea is hopefully one day it will at least start the conversation about how we can use this drug or this type of drug for humans. Um, because the way she was saying it is that, you know, her name is uh, Celine Hollowell. And it was basically, you know, you're going to be taking your pet to the doctor to get this longevity drug. Then you're going to start asking, well, how come I can't give this to my grandma? And then that hopefully will start the conversation in the medical community about how we translate this drug into a human drug. I did think it was interesting, though, that we kind of danced around what it means to have FDA um, approval. Because the drug wasn't submitted for FDA approval. It wasn't, it hasn't been FDA approved. But what it was, was the FDA said they believe it could work. Which isn't the same thing. But it does put it on the FDA's radar as to something they should investigate, which could speed along the approval process. So I did think that was interesting because you're kind of playing around with definitions, but the fact that the FDA says this could work is still worth the, we need to check this out. I agree. And I, and from, from reading your story, it seemed to me that they were basically testing the process that were, they, they were like, the FDA doesn't really have a process for life extension as the objective of a clinical trial or of a medication or of a treatment. So we're going to float this dog one and, you know, through this process. And right now you're right. The FDA didn't say, didn't even, the FDA hasn't even looked at the drug. They're looking at the paper. They're looking at the study and saying, hmm, that seems plausible. Um, but because they say, hmm, that seems plausible, most of the other headlines were like, FDA approved. Not quite true, but still. Um, I think that what it seemed like the CEO you talked to was also saying was like, well, once we've pried the door open this way, as we or anybody develops a longevity drug for humans, you know, this could be the footsteps you could follow. So, I mean, I, I thought it was pretty cool. Uh, in addition to all of the people who are very happy that dogs could live forever, I've I'm a I'm a big dog person. My parents always had golden retrievers. Um, on my dad's side and my mom's side, cat people. But on the, the the thing about big dogs is they live so much shorter than little dogs, and that always seemed kind of strange to me. And the fact that they were able to explain why that happens, I also thought was pretty educational. Yeah, and I as I I've I've had dogs all my life, and you know the hardest thing that a person can do is when they have to take the dog for that last ride, and. Any anything you can get that can make a dog long, live longer and healthier, it, it's going to be a, a positive. I can't see any downsides to that. Um, but FDA approval for human drugs tends to take up to fifteen years, so I don't know how long it would take for a animal drug to get approved. Apparently, the process that they use for this um, is called the... Uh, what's it called? Uh, da, 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 da. It's like an, an accelerated process for minor species is basically what they call it. Ex expanded conditional approval. So basically, this is 
a process this, that the FDA has where you can uh, submit reports, submit drug applications for minor species like fish, ferrets, and dogs, and cats. And because it's not a human, it tends to get more of a uh, more leeway, I guess, is the, the reason why they have it set up this way. And, you know, the idea is, well, we you have a drug that's supposed to um, fix issues like short term life, um, rampant disease. OK, well, let's have a look at it because, you know, animals have al already a shorter lifespan than humans. So we're going to try to fast track this thing. That's basically the idea. Um, but it's still not being FDA approved. Right, right. I, I didn't also appreciate the clarification. And this is always a question that comes up when they say, oh, you could get another extra 10 years out of your life, your dog's life, your cat's life. And, you know, she pointed out that we're talking about the the productive, happy middle years. It's not like you're going to get an extra 10 years when right. when you have to wear diapers and you can't remember everything. No, it's the it's the middle part that we're talking about. So right. that's good. Well, Which I, actually is good. That's actually a good um, bit about the human longevity push, because you have a lot. I think when when you hear the term longevity, you, you long, right? So long is more. So I think a lot of people get into their heads that what we're talking about is eternal life. When what what they're really talking about is better life, which in turn will make you live longer. I think that's the distinction that the the a lot of people don't understand when they hear the term longevity because it's not about just okay you live to 120 but you're bedridden what good is that you want to be healthy you want to be able to enjoy your life enjoy your time with your family and live to be 120 you know that that's what brian johnson is is trying to do right. and we're, we're talking to him today so that's going to be very interesting to see how what his insights are about that yeah, uh, stay tuned for that interview. I mean, uh, we're very excited about that. Good work to you, Jason, for landing because he's a very in uh, in demand fellow. But you're, again, I just wanted to to re reiterate that when people hear that you could be 140 years old, they think that oh, so if you take someone who's 100 today and you say they have to live like that for another 40 years, that's horrible. Right. <laughs> but we're saying no, you're going to get to 100, but feel but live like you're 40 is what we're talking about. Exactly. But in any case. Uh, I would say all of this uh, is a high. I'm all into AI and bio extension and life extension. I mean, there are some things that people are doing that are weird, but I think overall I agree with the mission. So I'm going to call it a high. Yeah, this is definitely a high. Um, let me let me enjoy and live with my dog a lot longer. I, I'll take that any day. <laughs> well, we're uh, at half an hour. I think we're good unless there was something else burning uh, your your, in your mind to talk about. I mean, I did play with Pika, that new video generator, pretty fun, even if it can only generate two second videos. The fact that it can make a video just out of what you describe is pretty impressive. Um, what else? Amazon getting into image generation, but you so, know. I think the um, stability AI tomorrow might be an interesting topic um, because you have uh, their, their Main and well, not I don't know if this is their main investor, but one of their larger investors is basically calling to question their leadership. Oh, right, the CEO, he's a bit of a fabulist, yeah. And they're telling you know, the 
the name of this company is, uh, hopefully I'm pronouncing this right, is Kotu Management. And they're basically saying, you know, we don't like the way you're running stability. You need to step down. And it's, you know, the at the same time, you have this news that stability may be looking for a buyer. And like we were putting in our report yesterday that the two of the companies that could be um, in the loop to be that buyer is Jasper AI and Cohere. Um, I think it's interesting that the um, you've also had this question out of the stability AI's uh, use of uh, fair use. And we interviewed Ed Newton Rex, who was their VP of audio, who publicly resigned because he didn't agree with their stance on fair use. So there's definitely something going on over at Stability. We reached out to them, but they didn't respond uh, to see what's going on. And it'd be interesting to see if this company gets absorbed by another or if uh, or if their CEO steps down or stays on. You know what? You're absolutely right. Thank you for bringing that up. I mean, it seems like corporate intrigue is catching now. Um, I, I know a lot of people who are big fans of Stability or... Uh, not stability, um, but of their uh, their AI model. I downloaded the app to give it a shot. I mean, the fact that there's citations in what it does, I think, is very attractive to a lot of people, particularly journalists. But um, yeah, it's a it's a it's going to be a crazy tumultuous time for a fast moving industry. But I appreciated your interview with uh, Rex about the um, audio and fair use because I think that's a very important question that he brought to the fore. Um, Excellent. Well, we'll keep an eye on that for you and everyone uh, at Decrypt Emerge. Uh, but I think that this will be it for our talk story session today. Catch us next week. We should hopefully be back on Wednesday. And uh, I'm going to say I'm out. Uh, thanks a lot, Jason. Good to talk to you. And it was great to talk to you as always, Ryan. And everyone, be sure to head over to decrypt.co for more of our coverage of AI and emerging technology. And we'll try to get some more space coverage in there for you as well. See you next week.